Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Mike. Lauren. How many celebrity accounts do you follow on X or Instagram? Um, Just a handful. I would say like major celebrities, just a handful. Minor celebrities, probably more. And do you generally assume that whatever captions or comments that the major celebs are posting have been carefully vetted by their PR teams or at least the person themselves has given consideration to what they're putting out there? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, it's all just part of a machine. What if I told you it was really all part of a machine? (laughs) A (laughs) Russian propaganda machine that's posting alongside these celebrity doppelgangers. Um, I would say shut it all down. Just shut down the Internet and we all go home. Well, we should probably wait until we finish this podcast, at least, and then we'll shut it all down. Okay, it's a deal. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And we're joined this week by Wired reporter David Gilbert, who joins us from Cork, Ireland. David is our resident U2 reporter, for those (laughs) of you who have listened to our previous episode with him. David, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Lauren. And I did actually get some um, negative feedback about my praise for Bono here in Ireland. So <laughs> that, that all matches up because people in Ireland don't like Bono. <laughs> we expect nothing less from your peers. All right. Well, on this episode, and you really should go back and listen to our prior episode with David, if you're interested in misinformation and disinformation, which is what David covers for us at Wired. But for this episode, we need to talk about fake celebrity ads David, you've been reporting on this for Wired for weeks now. Since November, a major disinformation campaign has taken over Meta and X, or as we like to refer to them, Facebook and Twitter. (laughs) This campaign includes a bunch of ads 
featuring extremely famous celebrities backing Russia and criticizing Ukraine. The campaign itself is called Doppelganger. And information shared exclusively with you has linked this disinformation campaign to Russia's GRU military spy agency. So, David, first off, how did you first hear about or notice this disinformation campaign involving celebrity doppelgangers? Where did your reporting really start? Um, Where all good reporting starts these days, it seems, on Signal. Um, Someone sent me a message telling me, just outlining this campaign it sounded a bit crazy and i wasn't because they didn't send any pictures or anything i didn't really understand what it was about um but that person worked with reset which is a non-profit that tracks disinformation campaigns um and they then sent me not really a report but they send out a newsletter periodically to they don't publish it publicly but they send it out to reporters and academics and researchers and in that, they outlined this, what they said, how, like Hollywood hates Ukraine, I think is how they titled it. And they just shared some of the images. And, you know, there was Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez, I think, and Shakira were the three they chose. And next to them were quotes in French and German. And there's, the figures were pretty startling. They said that um, there was... 7.6 million users, I think, in France and Germany who had seen these ads, that uh, there was 550 different specific Facebook ads, and that it was using images from, like, the most famous people in the world, effectively, from Cristiano Ronaldo to Oprah Winfrey, Lady Gaga. Um, Taylor Swift, and right? Ta- Taylor Swift was a part of it as well. Interestingly, the research researchers didn't mention Taylor Swift until I spoke to them. So maybe they don't see Taylor Swift as being as famous. Maybe they would know because she's the person of the year. I'm not sure. Um, well, she's no Bono, but, but yes, please continue. She is no Bono in many, many ways. <laughs> um, the, so it, yeah, it, it obviously caught my attention. So I then decided that I needed to talk to the researchers because the, the kind of research note or the newsletter they put out was pretty on how this campaign came about and the the size the size of it and who was behind it. So I decided at that point that I needed to talk to the researchers. So I got in a call with um, one of the researchers who who wants to remain anonymous because um, she you know out of respect for her privacy and does not want to be kind of targeted, I guess, by the the people who ran the campaign. So these ads that they were running that the researchers showed you, they have a photograph of a celebrity and then a quote next to it. And these are not real quotes. These are fake quotes. Uh, What sorts of things are they saying? What's the messaging? So the messaging, as Lauren said, is it's very much um, pro-Russia, anti-Ukraine. Similar things we've seen in many other kinds of um, campaigns by Russian disinformation outfits for the last couple of years. Um, so, like, they had uh, Taylor Swift, I think, was saying, how long will this take? The Ukrainians behave like charlatans and we continue to pay. This is not right. Or Selena Gomez in German was saying, every time the Ukrainians get money, everything goes wrong. Um, and then they had Kim Kardashian and she was ho- in the picture that they chose for Kim Kardashian, she's actually holding a microphone to make it look even more realistically, I guess, that this is something that she actually said while she was holding the microphone. She said, it's just disappointing how the Ukrainians use our help. Um, someone needs to stop this seriously. So that's the kind of flavor of what 
the quotes were saying, as I said, they're all in French and German, the ones in this particular campaign that the research reset researchers had identified. Um, and because they're Facebook ads, they were all targeted very specifically at people in different cities across Facebook, Facebook and Germany. How have the celebrities responded to this? Um, I don't know. They haven't publicly responded to the, um, the news that the campaign is taking place. Um, the, we contacted the, um, the people, I guess, as I put it for all the celebrities who we mentioned in the piece. But while well, I think Kim Kardashian's, um, uh, publicists got back, they didn't offer a quote or a reaction or anything. So it's, it's hard to know if the celebrities are even aware that this is happening. Tell us about the organization behind this ad campaign. They're called Doppelganger, and they're not exactly new, uh, but briefly tell us about their history and their links to various institutions inside Russia. Sure. So, like, when, as I said, Reset got in touch, and they, when they actually initially found the campaign, they didn't link it to Doppelganger. That only happened when I got in touch with another researcher in Russia um, because I was talking about a different story with them. And I just mentioned this campaign to them and they said, oh, that's Doppelganger. And then they showed me how that campaign was running on Twitter at the same time. So it they were able to kind of show that because the bots that they had been tracking were sharing this information or sharing these fake ads, they were then able to confidently say that it was Doppelganger and Reset subsequently said the same thing. So the group Doppelganger is... I guess it's been around or it's been known about since September 2022, but it's been running since at least May 2022. In September 2022, um, EU Disinfo, um, which is again a group that tracks disinformation campaigns, out of this as a Russian influence campaign. And at the time, what it was, it showed that it was doing is that it was creating fake versions of real websites and pushing links to those fake websites on social media. And when people clicked on the fake website, it looked like The Guardian or Le Monde in France or Bild in Germany, but the contents that they were reading were fake. And again, it was very much pro-Russia, anti-Ukraine content that it was pushing out. So that was highlighted in September. Also September 2022, Facebook um where they came out and they shared a lot of indicators with researchers about this group and they linked it to two russian companies with links to the kremlin but despite this the the campaign continued and in june this year the french government came out and it publicly for the first time uh alleged that the kremlin was behind us because again there was another french targeted campaign running um, against French websites like Le Monde, as I said, and Figaro and La Parisienne. And they were all fake versions of the real website. It looked fake. The masthead was the same. The, the journalists were the same. But the contents of the actual articles were fake. Um, and those were being pushed out by the bots on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and then just most recently, the same group was accused of being behind an influence operation in targeting the Israel-Hamas war, and that was, again, fake websites, this time some Israeli websites, some US websites, such as Fox Business, and it didn't necessarily, uh, wasn't necessarily pro 
Israel and anti-Hamas. It was just designed to sow confusion by spreading disinformation. And so that is what the group has been up to for the last 18 months. And now it seems that it's kind of looking to use Facebook or loopholes in Facebook's ad system to to push those messages as well as using the fake websites. Hmm. How is this different or is it at all different from the Russian disinformation campaigns we saw being tracked across social media uh, around 2016? I suppose the ultimate goal of it is is exactly the same. It's to sow chaos. It's to sow confusion. It's to make people second guess what they see online, not trust us to, uh, but then at the same time to believe the wildest, craziest things that they see online. Um, the tactics that they're using this time are are quite different. The the fake websites we didn't see that in, really in twenty twenty or twenty sixteen as much as we are seeing it now from them. Um, the use of ads in on a on a scale like this is also different and they're also using tactics whereas this ad campaign that was uncovered happened over the course of days it's it started it was paid for it targeted and it was deactivated a couple of days later the the researchers called it kind of a blitz campaign so it was it was up and down before facebook could really do anything about it because the people behind it knew that facebook would ultimately take it down so they decided that they would just, you know, target a lot of people very quickly and then move on. Um, so that's that's definitely different from what we saw in 2016, where 2016 was more where people were not aware of what was really happening in the pla- both the platforms and the people who were using it. And therefore, the Russian campaigns were able to kind of conduct more long term um, campaigns where they were able to, you know, use Twitter accounts that they were able to build up slowly over the course of months and years to garner huge followings um, and to, you know, look as if they were genuine, real accounts. Whereas this time, they seem to be trying to get in and out as quickly before Facebook detects what's happening and they're gone again. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you more about how the platforms are handling these disinformation campaigns. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Social media companies are definitely not strangers to disinformation campaigns at this point. In fact, some of them have established 
war rooms or specific teams that they've spun up to try to combat this around high stakes events, like, say, critical election seasons or major violent conflicts. But David, in this case, the doppelganger campaign has managed to exploit a certain loophole in Facebook's ad verification system. How has this worked? So it's it's actually really interesting how they go about doing this. The first thing they do is, or not necessarily doppelganger, but someone creates these networks of, like, recent researchers have found networks. The two networks involved in this were 25,000 and 52,000 pages, fake pages. But they have previously found networks of 346,000 pages. So this is something that's happening constantly. So what they do is, they automate the creation of pages by iterating through three different um, verbs or nouns so that they can create just generic sounding Facebook pages. And they can do that with a pretty rudimentary script. And as the research shows, they can create massive, massive networks. In this case, the people who were running the doppelganger campaign, they didn't use all of this network they just hired or purchased a a portion of it and they ran 552 ads on 552 pages um for a period of time so that's one way of you know the by automating the creation of ads they were able to get around um one of the issues which is scale the other thing that they did is that they, the ads that they produced didn't have any text, didn't have any links. All it was was an image with the text embedded in the image. Um, why that's important is that it makes it hard for Facebook to know what exactly the ad is saying because they can't easily read uh, text embedded in an image. They can read it, but it's it's more difficult to do it at scale. And because there's no link, they can't see a pattern because there's no text underneath it, they can't see a pattern in that. And therefore, it was the, the people running the campaign were able to get the campaign up and running, get it viewed by millions of people. And by the time it was deactivated, they were gone. Um, so it's, it's, it's in, in some ways, the images are pretty rudimentary. All they did is, you know, it's pretty basic Photoshop work, putting a, a picture of a celebrity, put some text next to it, and that's it. But the way that they did it is pretty sophisticated and shows just how advanced and um, willing to kind of go the extra mile these groups are in order to circumvent whatever measures Facebook or Meta have put in place. Speaking of those methods, what sorts of tactics does Facebook employ to prevent people from creating a bunch of pages or at least spotting the ones that are participating in bad actions like this? They... They do a lot. Like if you read Facebook's transparency reports, um, in some quarters, they have said that they have actually deleted billions of fake pages. Most quarters, it's hundreds of millions of fake pages, which is just the, the scale of it is kind of mind boggling. And they say that most of those are deleted within seconds or minutes of being created. Because what they're looking for is they're looking for patterns. They're looking for this automation um, system that's in place. So they're looking at IP addresses. If, if the same IP address is trying to create tens or hundreds or thousands of pages in the same, in the space of minutes, then that's all going to get shut down. Um, but obviously the people behind this campaign have found a way to 
circumvent that. They've been able to, or maybe not necessarily the people behind this campaign, but the people behind the networks of pages that they are using to run the campaign. And those networks of pages are typically created by groups who are in it for the money. They rent out or hire out or sell those pages to whoever wants to use them. A lot of the time it's for scam adverts or for, you know, trying to redirect people to buy gold or buy silver online or buy Trump digital trading cards, whatever the latest <laughs> grift is that's out there. Um, and while Facebook has done a lot to, to tackle the problem, it's clearly not something that they're on top of because they know about these networks of accounts. Reset has published research about it as recently as October, and yet those networks are still active. Um, because even, even some of the ads that I've seen are still, you can still see the ads in the Facebook library right now. You can click on them. You can see what city was targeted, how many people viewed it. You can't see how much they paid for it because you, you don't, Facebook doesn't have to tell you that kind of stuff. Um, even here in Europe. So you can see that some of the pages that were posting this ads, a lot of them have been taken down by Facebook, but some of them are still active. So, even when they're publicly outed like this, Facebook still struggles to take down every one of them that's been involved in a campaign like this. And this isn't just affecting Facebook. This is also targeting users of Twitter. We're still going to call it Twitter. But you reported uh, in Wired that the campaign on X used over 10,000 bot accounts. And at one point, there was like one eight-hour period where the bots posted over 27,000 messages. I mean, this is just, it's like, Pure bot behavior, right? We've seen this on the internet for years. How is this happening? And what do we know about how X or Twitter is handling this? Well, we know very little about how X is handling it because they don't answer press queries anymore. Or you, they, they do actually respond, but it's with a, a busy check back soon or something like that is yeah. the line that they're using at the moment. S slight improvement from the poop emoji they sent for a little, while. A little bit better, yeah. yeah. Um, but so we don't know. But as you said, like even back in 2016, if this stuff was being done, they would have they would have caught it then. This is any decent uh, social media platform that employs any level of um, trust and safety teams will easily be able to spot this and not even need a human to do it it should be built into the system that if this is happening that it's automatically detected and automatically taken down but that's just not happening on twitter at the moment because of what elon musk has done um so the the campaign itself on twitter didn't have as much reach as it did in on facebook because they they on twitter they they posted the same images but they weren't ads so they weren't put in front of as many people there were just it was more of a spam campaign where they just used as many of the bot accounts that they could find and they put it out as quickly as possible as like, i think at one point they were doing two posts every second uh so 120 posts a minute which is just mind-boggling that that kind of stuff is still allowed in 2023 but here we are so the campaign on Twitter was the same images as the campaign on Facebook, or were they also posting links to the fake news websites, uh, like the 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 sort of uh, AirSats Fox News and AirSats Build? Um, both, yeah. So like the the Twitter bot army has been kind of a 
the backbone of the campaign. It's been used in all those iterations I was talking about earlier, where they were when they build the fake websites, they then use the Twitterbot army to spread those um, links. Um, but then in the most recent campaign, it was spreading just the images and not links to any any website. Um, but it was because this bot army was used to share links to two specific websites that we were able to link it to the GRU, the military spy agency in Russia, because the two websites that the, the Twitter bots linked to have direct links to the GRU. Um, and they were, it was the, the Russian researchers who I spoke to were, were, who have been tracking these bots consistently for months or years. They were able to flag that these guys are now sharing disinformation that's coming direct from the GRU. Um, so yeah, they were, they were, they have been used to post links to the fake websites, but most recently they've been used to post the fake images rather than, um, any links. So David, is this campaign still active right now? Yeah, the campaign is active and we've seen like this campaign has been around since May 2022. It's been repeatedly outed or written about in the press and it just continues. I was speaking to one of the researchers a couple of days ago and they said what's happening now is some of the ads are they're posting images of celebrities verified Instagram pages which have been just changed to alter the comment on the post to be again pro-Russian or anti-Ukrainian. They've also um, started publishing videos, which are uh, one of the videos was the filmmaker Vim Venders. He was speaking, and they've dubbed over it in a different language in French um, a pro-Russian or anti-Ukrainian message. So the campaign is obviously continuously evolving. And it doesn't seem to matter how many times it's spoken about in the press. It's just going to continue to to run and run. Well, I wish we we could leave listeners with something more optimistic, but it sounds like just all we can say is be careful out there, folks. If you suddenly see Taylor Swift or Cristiano Ronaldo speaking out in favor of Russia, maybe be a little suspicious. Yeah, that's good advice. (laughs) All right, David, thank you for that. Let's take another quick break, and then we'll come back with our recommendations. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. All right, David, what is your recommendation? Um, my recommendation is a film that I went to see uh, a couple of days ago uh, called Saltburn. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen it or heard of it. No, tell us about it. So it's a film about class and society in 
England. Um, it stars Barry Keoghan, an Irish actor who is one of my favourite actors at the moment, um, and Jacob Elordi, an Australian actor who was in Euphoria. Um, and they both play English um, kids, 18 years old. It's about them going to Oxford, and Jacob Elordi's character is comes from hugely wealthy family and Barry Keoghan comes from a working class family in Liverpool and he's trying to fit in and he just can't fit in because he just doesn't have the money and he just doesn't understand wealth and society and class and so they kind of strike up a friendship and it gets he at the end of the semester Jacob Elordi's character invites Barry Keoghan to go to his home, his house, which is called Saltburn, and it is just this massive English country house. Um, and from there, it goes over the course of a summer what happens at the house, and it just gets increasingly dark and increasingly disturbing, and there are lots of really, really creepy and weird scenes in it and it ends with a scene that I won't spoil for anyone but it's it's soundtrack by Murder on the Dance Floor that is just a, a perfect way to end the film and it's yeah it's brilliant I loved it is this is this a squirmy movie it it is yeah it's kind of there are cert, there are at least three scenes where you just you don't want to be looking at the screen about what's happening <laughs> it's not it's not gory as such but it's just the stuff that happens is unnerving but in a really <sighs> brilliant way and it's about what lies under the surface and awesome. it's by Emerald Fennell who is a filmmaker and actress from England she made a Promising Young Woman was her previous film oh, and so she good. also played Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown oh Oh, I've wow. Done what else she's done. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Promising Young Woman had a couple scenes where I was like, did that just happen? Yeah. That, yeah. This, this kind of ratchets totally it up intriguing. a little bit. Awesome. It sounds a little bit like John Knowles, a separate piece, a novel some of you may know, meets <laughs> the talented Mr. Ripley a little bit. There's, yeah, there's definitely kind of the talented Mr. Ripley, but like way grungier and I don't know yeah I, I understand where you're comparing to Talented Mr. Ripley but it's just a completely different film I can't wait to see it this is yeah, a great really recommendation good. also David I'll have you know that prior to our taping today I said to Mike I kind of want to recommend this thing but I feel like all I keep doing is recommending like cute British actors something with cute <laughs> British actors and um, I'm glad that you now have taken over that role so thank you <laughs> Neither of oh, those Australian. actors are British. That's true. One's Irish is sorry. Irish. That is correct. Let's yeah. make the distinction here. So Irish and you Australian. Can, you can recommend all the British cute actors you want. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> you can hold on to that. Uh, thank you for that recommendation. Adding it to the list. Mike, what's your recommendation? Okay. Uh, my recommendation is another culinary recommendation. Yes. Uh, if you are entertaining for the holidays or if you are going to a holiday party and you want to take care of your teetotaling friends 
you may want to bring or supply a non-alcoholic beverage to this fest. Don't bring the sparkling apple cider. All right. Martinelli's. Yeah. Don't don't bring that. Don't bring LaCroix. Bring something better, something that is uh, much tastier and will be greatly appreciated by your teetotaling friends because uh, I think the 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 thing is that if you have uh, a boozy party and there's non-boozy options, they usually have no imagination whatsoever. So use your imagination. Get Italian blood orange soda. Italian blood orange soda. This is my recommendation. Where does one find it? Oh, there are so many brands, Lauren. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, the ones that I would specifically recommend are a Siciliana. Uh -huh. That's what it's called. A apostrophe Siciliana, like the country. Uh, San Pellegrino Aranciata Rosa. Mm -hmm. So the San Pellegrino comes in a can. Yeah. And there's the Aranciata or the blood orange. We have uh, a whole pack of that here, by the way. We for do. The Start Lounge. I noticed it. Mm -hmm. And it's warm. I should chill it. Uh, there's also one from a, a brand called uh, Tamarchio, which mm -hmm. I've had a few times. That's a, the hard C-H-I-O at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's also house brands. Trader Joe's makes one. There's a Fever Tree. Pardon me. I think you mean Giuseppe's. Giuseppe's. Trader right. Giuseppe's. Yes, exactly. Uh, they make one. Fever Tree, mm -hmm. the uh, tonic water people, mm -hmm. they make one. Cadia, the um, organic drink supplier, makes one. So if you get the blood orange soda, it's important to serve it chilled. But over ice uh, is excellent. Also in a flute is excellent. You can toast with it. So all I'm saying is like, if you don't drink alcohol and you go to a party and you're like, what is there for me to drink? It's almost always something silly and pedestrian. Like live a little bit, make it so that you are thinking of your, all of your friends, including your teetotaling friends, whenever you throw a party, they will thank you for it. And it will be a better party because of it. Appreciate you, Mike. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for that recommendation. <laughs> What's your recommendation? I had a fantastic mocktail this weekend at a holiday party. Oh, yeah? I don't even remember what was in it, but there was some yeah, a lot of stuff in there. Ginger and crushed mint and I'm gonna have to replicate it. But yeah, the TJ's um the TJ's blood orange soda. Very, very good. Nice. My recommendation, um, because I'm not actually going to recommend Slow Horses, even though that was going to be my initial recommendation. It's pretty good. It's on Apple TV+. Plus. Gary Oldman it's is your favorite is. cute British actor? <laughs> That's exactly right. I love a Gary Oldman with greasy hair and unfettered alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, he's a fantastic actor, by the way. Let's not. It's just his character we're talking about, folks. And there's less alcoholism in this season. Uh, in season three. Yeah, that's true, yeah. actually. Yeah. He's cutting um, back. So, yeah. Um, that's the, you remember the scene where he goes to his doctor and his doctor's like, how many units <laughs> per week are you drinking? The limit's 14 for service agents. And he's like, yeah, 14. Uh, anyway. Um, so, uh, no, my recommendation is uh, support your, your union. That's my recommendation this week. How can one support their union? Well, you can, first of all, join a union. You can be part of an organizing committee to start a union in your workforce. If your workforce doesn't have one, you can. And even if one already exists and you're someone who's been on the fence or uh, maybe just thinking uh, you're not sure that you're aligned with all the beliefs of the union or whatever it is, look, it doesn't hurt. Support your union. It's really important. Um, and uh, in this day and age, I think where a lot of us are feeling um, 
overworked and uh, just sort of caught in the endless machine of, of capitalism and outputs. I think it's really important to take a step back and support your colleagues and then stand up for your colleagues and and uh, support your support your union. So that's my recommendation. Can I yes and that? You can. I would say that if there's a union in your neighborhood or your town that you want to support and they are currently striking or they're threatening to strike, you can donate to their strike fund. That is very true. You can donate to their strike fund and listen to uh, what they're asking for as part of that strike too. For example, some journalism organizations might say while they're striking, please don't click on our stories. It may seem counterintuitive because you're thinking, wait, I want to support their journalism. During a strike, though, it's critical to show that those workers are not dispensable, right, and can't be replaced with robots. They bring a human value to the job. And by you then not participating in in that sort of machine during their strike, you're helping to underscore that. So listen to their demands, understand their demands, listen to what they're asking for. And yeah, to Mike's point, you can you can support strike funds when people are striking too. I like it. So that's my recommendation yeah, this week. It's a good one. All right, all. Thank you so much uh, for being part of this. David, thank you for joining us, especially because it's so late on your end. I really appreciate you being here. No, it's been a pleasure. And Mike, thanks as always for being a great co-host. Of course. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, first of all, we'd love to hear from you on Apple Podcasts. We do read the reviews. Google Podcasts is going away, right? It's now being folded into YouTube or something like that. Something like that. We haven't quite figured that one out, folks. But leave us a review because we do read them. And you can also find us on all the socials. So just check the show notes. Yeah. What you can do is you can get a photograph of Taylor Swift Mm -hmm. and then Photoshop in a quote. Talking about uh, how much she loves the Gadget Lab podcast in German <laughs> and then that's disseminating right. that through your bot army. That's, that's, yes, exactly. Gadget Lab is my favorite podcast. Don't <laughs> shake off Gadget Lab. It would be a cruel summer not being able to listen to Gadget Lab. <laughs> I know the Gadget Lab all too well. You guys, it's, this shit's easy, okay? Just do it. <laughs> spread it. Spread the word. Spread the love. Thank you so much. Um, our producer is the excellent Boone Ashworth, who was born in 1989. <laughs> Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week. <laughs> he says it's not true. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.